Turn with me, dear friends, to Philippians chapter 2, this epistle, this letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi in Asia Minor that he wrote. And I want to read to you again uh, as our text, verses 5 and 6, verses 5 and 6 of Philippians chapter 2, where we read, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant as was, and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Friends, this portion of God's word in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through to the end of verse 11, is really a great biographical portion about the two distinct natures of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is one person. In two natures. You and I, we have just one nature. You're, you're a human being. That's what you are. No more than that. No less than that. But Jesus Christ is two distinct natures in one person. He's God and man in one person. That is mind-boggling, but that's the teaching of the Word of God. And that's something that you ought to... Take your heart. He is one person and one person forever. Two natures in one person forever. And as you read this text, everything you need to know about the Lord Jesus Christ, about his work, about his redeeming work, how he saves people, how he actually forgives people, what he has done for, for sinners like, like you and me. These things are defined here. We, we read about his, his grace, we read about his, his mercy, his love, his, his death, his divinity, his humanity, his incarnation, his humiliation, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, his exaltation to heaven, his rule over all things, his reception, everything about Jesus Christ is mentioned. So if you want to condense his, his life story, his biography, these are the words that you have. And there is no way to confuse the Lord Jesus Christ with anybody else. It's all there. Everything we need to know about him in order to be saved, in order to get right with God, in order to have our sins forgiven, it's all here. Have you read it? Have you prayed over it? Have you sought the Lord over this and said, I, I, Lord, I need thee. I need thee. Work in my heart. You know, my friends, if you're not a Christian, your heart, your heart is, is dead spiritually. So when someone says, oh, give your heart to the Lord Jesus, what are you going to give, give to? That's not even in the Bible, that kind of expression. What are you going to give? A dead heart to Jesus Christ? No, you need to ask him, Lord, give me a heart for thee. That's what we need to pray. Reverse it. Say, Lord, I have nothing. Give me a new heart. That's what I need. 
not good to give you a dead heart. I need a new heart. And that, that's the change that we need. We don't want just, just an outward change that you, you dress rightly, you speak in a correct manner and so on. But your inward, your soul must be renewed by the power of God. And this is something that is spoken to uh, of here. See, you like agree with me that we live in a world where people are craving after reputation, self-ambition, self-aggrandizing, um, as it were. People are craving after it. But the context here tells us that there is someone who is different. There is someone, instead of saying, me, 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 he's thinking about all other people. And the Apostle Paul says, follow Jesus Christ. Have this same mind in you. That was also in, in, in him. He says, look not every man on his own things. That is, don't just be concerned about your own thing, but you be careful of other people. This is what Jesus Christ did then. So all that the Lord Jesus Christ has done is in this text. He has done it not on his behalf, not for himself, not to have a better glory, not to have a greater glory, but all is said because Jesus Christ is thinking about other people. He didn't come for himself. He didn't need you and me. He didn't need us. There was angels, unfallen angels in glory, worshiping him, glorifying him, obeying him at all times. He didn't need you and I, who are oftentimes always rebellious. No. But all he said is because the Lord Jesus Christ is thinking about other people. So this is very important. It's a crucial passage. And from the highest imaginable position, the Lord Jesus Christ found himself in the lowest uh, thinkable position. Just think about this. Just imagine this. That the Lord Jesus Christ, who could, who could have insisted on, on his rank, on his authority, on his power, Willingly, he admitted and accepted to make himself uh, in the lowest possible position. He speaks about here of being made a servant, becoming like one of us. And I'm, again, I'm sure you would agree that, with me that in this world, we all want the highest position. We want to develop. We want to be, be better in our situations. And none of us is happy when we reach the highest position to be brought low. You don't like it. I don't like it. But this is the God of glory. The Lord of lords. This is the king of kings from the highest place in, in heaven. Willingly, he came as a servant, as obedient servant. That is the word for slave. As a man. The one who didn't need them, and he didn't need men. The one who was worshipped by angels, but he brought himself into this world where men, instead of kissing him, what did they do? They killed him. They should have kissed him. They should kiss the son. But they killed the son. That's what they did. They hanged him on a cross. That's what they did. What for? You think about it. What for? The, the sinless, the blameless the perfect, the life giver. This is astonishing. The life giver is to die. 
the one who has power to, to give life, the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life, willingly accepting that men will hang him on a cross in a place called Calvary. But this, this passage also tells us in a very clear way that salvation is only in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. You want to get right with God? There are no, no many roads to God, dear friends. There's just one way to God. That's through the Lord Jesus. The Lord has made it simple. The Lord has made it simple. A child, a child can say, I only need Jesus. An adult could say, I've been looking at this, looking at this thing, looking at that thing. It's so confusing. I've had to read so many books. I have to watch so many things. I've had to listen to so many lectures and talks and this and that and spending so many hours in these things. But you're saying to me, there's only one way. That, that's simple. Even I could understand that. This is the grace of God. The Lord is not making things complicated for us. This is why Jesus Christ came. He didn't send a lecturer. He didn't send, send somebody to come and give you big charts and, and point you to all of these things. He just said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's it. So I'll do my best to explain what is going on here in this passage because here the, the scripture shows to us that for our salvation, a sacrifice was necessary. A sacrifice, a blood sacrifice equal to our rebellion, our sinfulness, our wickedness, our pollution. A sacrifice equal to that was, was necessary. A sacrifice which will equal our unrighteousness must be paid and must be given. A man like you and me couldn't do it. I could shed my blood. There have been many, many soldiers who've shed their blood. But for sin, a mountain. We can't use a mountain for blood. But you, you think about so much liters of blood of people. They cannot atone for our soul. Nothing. No amount of blood could wash away my sins. But the most perfect son of God, the most perfect son of God, the one who never sinned, he came and he shed his blood for sinners. The best of men in this world couldn't have done it. But Jesus Christ, who never sinned, came into this world and did it. This is our Lord. This is what the scripture Teaches. This is why Jesus Christ is so important. The one who never said one word above another. The one who didn't have the slightest drop of sin. A sin that cannot be seen even through a microscope. Nothing there. If, if Jesus Christ's life, you go and examine it, you look at it, you can't find any fault with him. But willingly, this son of God came. He went to the cross, to die for sinners. Now, there are, there are very quick three things I want to say to you about this passage. First of all, is about the divinity of Jesus Christ. We have to understand it is God who saves, and Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. Without, without Jesus being God, you cannot be saved. I could not be saved. And that's why the devil is against uh, this teaching that Jesus Christ is God. 
So you have all these cults out there. You have all these uh, various religions out there that say, oh, we can accept Jesus as a prophet, but not as God. We can't accept him in that fashion. And then also then we think about the humanity of Jesus Christ and then the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of his humanity, because of his divinity, because of his exaltation, God saves souls. And because of all of these things, Jesus Christ is, is sitting in his place of majesty and glory. And every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus Christ to be Lord. There is no other Lord except Jesus Christ, the Lord. So here is this text. First is that Christ's divinity is shown to us. Look at verse 6, dear friends. Look at this verse 6. He says, verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So this is, this is the mind of Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, is in the form of God, we are told. This is talking about the, the fact that Jesus Christ is God, His divinity. Who being in the form of God, that word form, there in uh, the English language, we get the English language morphology. But this is not like, um, I don't know if you've ever been to Madame Tussauds in, uh, in London. When I was a child, we came to this country. That was the first place my, my father took me to see all these um, <clears throat> images of people. And uh, the uh, artist's way of this, uh, showing uh, some of these famous people in this world. But this is not what's talking about. No, no, no. You see a person and you go and, and see that person, a statue of a person. Is this the same person? No, it's not the same person. That's not the comparison that is being made here. The form here doesn't mean that. Here the word form means really he's exactly, exactly God. He's exactly God. Being in the form of God. He himself has the nature of God. And he's, he's saying, how, how is this amazing truth? That God himself became man. This is how it's put in Hebrews chapter 1. He says he is the express image of his person. In Colossians chapter 1, he says he is the image of the invisible God. You tell that to a Jehovah's Witness when they come to your door. And say, this is what my Bible says, black and white. You've seen God, you've seen Jesus Christ. You've seen Jesus Christ, you've seen God. That's the meaning. But who being in the form of God? This is, we can spend so much time here. Why? Because Christ was before time. He was before time. He was not created. He was not made. He was begotten. There's a difference. And we won't have time to enter into the details of that. But he has never been made, dear friends. Jesus Christ has never been made. He's never been created. But God took a, we could say, palpable, a tangible form in the person of Jesus Christ. God who fills heaven and earth. He made himself, as it were, so small in a, in a human body, in the womb of the Virgin Mary. A, a cell that had been conceived and grew and grew, this human body developing. God knitting 
Christ in Mary's womb. This is the very God of the very God that the Bible speaks. He is, is the one who is begot, begotten of the Father. He's equal to the Father. He's equal to the Holy Spirit. Of the same power, of the same uh, equality with the Father and of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus Christ did come. He came. He subordinated himself. And you ought to understand this. He subordinated himself, but he was not inferior. He was not inferior. That's, that's the difference that we should make. He was not inferior to the Father. He's equal to the Father. He's in the form of God. But he made himself of no reputation. He subordinated himself to secure our salvation. If we believe in him. So that's very important. And you, 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 you can see this in, in verse 5. And it is wonderful. Paul speaks about this expressly in verse 5. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. No, it doesn't say Jesus Christ. It says Christ Jesus. He doesn't say Jesus Christ because the order is important here. He's making a point in Christ. The emphasis is first on Christ because the name of Christ is his office, while Jesus is the name of his humiliation. His terrestrial, his human name. He came to this world. He took the name of Jesus. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, we read in Matthew chapter 1. For he shall save his people from their sins. But now to show his divinity, that he is God. The Apostle Paul, instead of saying Jesus Christ, is emphasizing on Christ, the Messiah. Hundreds and hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament uh, that we read of about the Messiah of Israel, the Christ of Israel that will come. And when he comes, oh, he will die on the cross. That's what the, the Old Testament prophecies speak of. And he will die on that cross, not because he has done anything wrong, but because of, of his love for sinners he, who would believe in him. So that's the divinity, the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And who being in the form of God. The second person of the Godhead. This is amazing. So there's no doubt about Jesus Christ being in the form of God. The second thing is the humanity of Jesus Christ. So we've seen Christ's divinity, now Christ's humanity. And what the Apostle Paul speaks about here is actually eight things he says, and I'll go through them very, very quickly. So I've got eight subpoints. Don't fear. But, but it's, it's quite interesting that he... he he goes through this, he draws our attention to the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's, it's, it's like steps going down and down and down and down. He, it's, it is given, it is, we could say it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse to the previous one. So we are looking at a bird's eye view of these things. First, about his humanity. What do we read in verse 6? Who being in the form of God... Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. What does that mean? It, it was not a prey to, to, to seize upon. He was God. Will you look for somebody or something that you have already? That's what he's talking about. Would you look for something you already have? You have it? Do you keep looking for it? You, you know you have it. 
That's what he's talking about. He didn't have to prove himself to be God. He didn't have to hold on to his deity. He already has it. He is God. You go around telling people, I'm a human being? You go, go around doing that to prove your humanity to people? No, you already have it. And Jesus Christ is God. He's, he's thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He will never cease to be God because he's always been God. That's his identity. He doesn't have an identity crisis. And, but it's saying that he valued our salvation more than simply to, to, to try to defend his divinity. That's the meaning. He wasn't here to prove his divinity to, to people. He didn't have this crisis within him, himself, his being. Christ, Christ valued our salvation more than being, making himself equal with God or to God. Instead of coming like a lion, a roaring lion, he came, chapter 1 of John tells us, Behold the Lamb of God. That's how he came, which taketh away the sin of the world. That's how the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world. He didn't uh, come to, uh, he did not fight to keep himself as, in, in power as a despot. You know the tyrants of this world? They're fighting, fighting for what? They're fighting to keep themselves in their position. The Lord Jesus Christ wasn't doing that. He's already God. That's what he's talking about. But Christ did not take advantage of his divinity. But he thought about others. He wanted to save us. We have to move on. The second thing is this, that it says in verse 7. But made himself of no reputation. But made himself of no reputation. Uh, again, um, uh, there's emphasis. There's, there is not what he ceased to be. But what he became. So he's not saying Jesus Christ was God, but he stopped being God. Then he became a man. This is why in, earlier on in my introduction... I said that this is a wonderful biography about the two distinct natures of the Lord Jesus in one person forever. So the emphasis is not what he ceases to be, what he stops to be, but what he became. There are people who say, well, I like the Jesus of the New Testament, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament. They don't realize the God of the Old Testament is the same Jesus Christ. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he takes on to himself humanity. For the sake of our redemption, he made himself of no reputation. Many, many books have been written to explain this expression to us. But it's very simple, dear friends. It's very simple. What does it mean? Made himself of no reputation. For the sake of our redemption, Christ did not divest himself or emptied himself of his glory, of his divinity of his power, of his authority. He didn't empty himself of any of those things. Never. It's impossible. He cannot ungod himself. But in his greatness and in his mercy, he willingly, we could say, he set aside the manifestation and the exercise of his power and his prerogatives. Willingly, he set aside or he... He could have crushed the people. He said, I could send 
a call upon angels, legion of angels to come and destroy you, blow you apart. I could say a word and you're gone. I'm keeping you by the word of my power. Your heart is beating. The very cross that you're nailing me on, this is the, cross, uh, this is the tree that I made to grow. What are you talking about? That you have power over me? No, you have no authority over me, he said to the ruler. But he willingly, he did not exercise those prerogatives. But he was willing to go to the cross. He is willing to be arrested by the hands of men. He is willing to be mocked by people. People who said, if, if you're a savior, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. You could just throw the cross aside and come down from it. But willingly, he stayed on that cross because he knew that without the cross of Calvary, there will never be salvation for sinners. And you can give so many examples through the word of God where we could see clearly the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So his character was untarnished, untainted by sin. He's always God, but always but because of our needs, needs. He became a man without ceasing to be God. He added to his divinity, we could say. So it's a plus, not a minus. It's a plus. It's addition, not subtraction. He added to his divinity humanity. And he remains like that forever and ever. So he became the God-man. The God-man. The third thing is that, that it says that he and took upon him the form of a servant. Not, not a general. Not a captain. Not a hero. But a servant. A slave. The form of a servant. Being made a servant. By his own volition. By his own desire. By, he willed it. So humbly. So willingly. The Lord of glory became a servant. Have you ever heard anything like this? Other than in the Bible? So he became a servant. An obedient servant. Christ is called a suffering servant. A man of sorrows. So he's going down and down. And then fourthly. He was made in the likeness of man. The God-man walking on earth. Yet his deity was veiled by his flesh. From time to time he displayed it. You have that account of the transfiguration that the disciples came and they saw him on the mount. And, and they saw his, something of his glory. They couldn't believe their eyes. What happened? You can read about that in Luke chapter 17. And just a small number of them saw something of his glory that was being manifested. Even Moses and Elijah were there, appeared to him. But the only person who should reserve our ears and our listening, God even spoke there. And the, the, he said, God the Father said to these disciples, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. He says, hear him, not Moses, not Elijah. It's my son that you need to hear. Yes, Moses was a great man. Elijah was a great man. But amongst them all, Jesus Christ is the son of God. 
the chiefest, the greatest, the fairest. Oh, Jesus Christ, he was subject and he made himself subject to the limitations of the body. He put himself under the law. He obeyed the law of God perfectly. He submitted himself to the authority of, of his time and he obeyed his parents. And that's very important. He grew in stature. He grew in wisdom. He grew in obedience. Christ was thirsty. He was hungry. He sweated. He wept. He finally, of course, he died on the cross of Calvary. Oh, there's so many, many ways like us and yet so different. The fifth thing it says there in verse 8, it says, and being found in fashion as a man. The only, the best way to explain this verse is uh, for, from Hebrews 2 and verse 14, where it says, For as much as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. He's taken, partaken of our flesh and blood. So Jesus Christ became man. He took on the body like, like our body. The sixth thing is this. Again, verse 8. He humbled himself, it says. And you'll agree with me that humility is very hard. Humility is very hard. You children, you know this. When someone says, you need to humble yourself. It's so hard. You find it hard. Adults find it hard. Because adults are even prouder than children. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ speaks about children, that you must become like a little child to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Adults have all this baggage, all these things that they have to prove to other people. But our humility, our humanity, does it come from within us? Our humility must be from something outside of us. It's exterior to us. Something happens and then it humbles us. But with Jesus Christ, his humility came from himself. His humility came from himself. Oh, what a big difference. So he made himself humble. He humbled himself and willingly. He took the position of a lowly teacher, as it were, uh, though he spoke like no other. No man sp spake like this man, the scripture says. He didn't use his power to get that, but to give. He didn't use his power to, to get things from men, but he kept giving and giving. He lived as no one, yet he was the greatest. Seventh thing is this, and I'm just rushing through these. He became obedient unto death, it says. Unto death. He didn't die of illness, sickness, or old age, but he, the, the, the life giver died. Do you know why we die? No religion will give you the answer to this, why people die. But the Bible gives us a clear answer. The wages of sin is death, the scripture says. The wages of sin is death, and, which is very negative, and then it gives you the, the positive, the, the way of salvation, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the, it gives you the answer very briefly. Why do people die? It's the wages. You are receiving your wages. That's what's happening. And amazingly, when, even when Jesus Christ was a boy at 12 years old, he knew why he came into this world. He knew. He was determined to go to the cross of Calvary and to die. But 
Why should he die? He didn't sin. But he made himself of no reputation. He, he became sin for us, the scripture says. So there, there are many, many things that we could say. But he went even to the death of the cross for us. That's another point. The final thing, the eighth point is even the death of the cross. The cross was, the, was a torture reserved to the worst of criminals. Crucifixion was denigration, cruel, um, shameful, horrible. No picture can picture what happened on that cross. That's why we should not defile our, our minds and scriptures with pictures of Jesus on a cross or look at films and movies that depicts that. Nothing can depict it. What happened to Jesus Christ? We should not depict God the Son anyhow. But on that cross, his, his blood was shed again because he had already shed, shed blood in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. But all of these things show us of his, his humanity, his humiliation. But then, very quickly, his exaltation. It says, wherefore, verse 9, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. So it's not the end. Death of Jesus Christ is not the end. We don't stop at the cross. We don't have a hanging Jesus on a cross. We don't have a crucifix, dear friends. If you have a crucifix, your salvation is not salvation. If you are holding on to a crucifix and say, this is what I believe in. No, my friends, Jesus Christ is not on a cross. He's not even in, in, a, in a tomb. He is exalted. Wherefore God hath also hath highly exalted him. Because of all the eight reasons that we've just looked at. Because he willingly died on the cross. God the Father. Look at the tone. I'm sure you've noticed that the tone have changed from Christ now to the Father. So because they are united, they are in harmony, everything they have done, they've done it together. God the Father is involved, the Son is involved, the Holy Spirit is involved. So Christ did not remain on the cross. Men left him in a grave, but he came out from it and was given, not a palace, but he was given the heavens. He is given the heavens and the earth. All authority has been given to him. Men crowned him with a crown of thorns, but the Father with a crown of glory. The Father now, highly, it says. It's a superlative in English grammar. Highly exalted him. Highly. What men missed to do, the Father did it. Dishonored by men, but exalted by the Father. The very cross which speak about his humiliation became also his highest elevation. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. We were singing about that. There are so many names given to the Lord Jesus Christ, but the most wonderful name is Jesus. Savior. God is Savior. That's what it means. God saves. So that's the name given to him. There's only one Savior, dear friends, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. And I must come to a conclusion now. Why must Jesus Christ die on the cross? The cross speaks about God's love to this world. The cross speaks about 
judgment. The cross speaks about our condemnation. The cross speaks about the holiness of God and how God sees your sin and my sin. That's what the cross speaks about. But there's something positive in this too. The cross speaks about our salvation. That's the beauty of the cross. On the cross, Jesus Christ dealt with our guilt, with our sins, and his righteousness is given to his goodness, his purity, his holiness, everything good about Jesus Christ is given to, imputed to the account of anybody who would believe. Anybody who would believe. Do you know, dear friends, we are sinners. We are polluted. We have this mark within ourselves. If we were to give ourselves a grade, we would give ourselves the best grade. You'd say, oh, well, I'm a good person. Look at you. You are a bunch of good people. No, no. A true Christian says, no, I'm a wretched sinner. I'm a wretched sinner, but I have a great Savior. I have a great Savior. People might say, well, this kind of a thing is very offensive to people. But dear friends, this is the, this is the joy and the hope of the Christian to see their reality and see what Jesus Christ has done for us. Everything in the Bible speaks about this. This world has fallen into sin, but Jesus has come as, a, as, a, as it were a lifeguard, jumping into this world. Not just throwing us a lifeline, but he's come to save himself, uh, us. He has come to save us by himself. Oh, dear friends, salvation is of the Lord, and Christ is that Lord. What must I do now? It says here, we must confess him. Every knee will bow to Jesus Christ. You know, your knee will bow one day to Jesus Christ. Your tongue will confess him to be Lord. Shall we not bow before him now? Shall we not confess him Lord? Shall we not call upon him Lord Jesus Christ? Look at my life. Look at what a, what a sinful being I am from my time of birth to my time of death. I'm tainted with sin, offensive to thee. Have you ever been away for a week or two and you come home, you open the door, there's a smell that comes out. I don't know why it, it happens all the time, always like that. It, it can be anybody's home. And you think the Lord opens the door of your heart, reveals yourself to you, and there's a stench that comes out. And you think that's how horrible it is. I don't want anybody else to see it. But the Lord sees it and smells it. But it is for such people Jesus Christ came. At his name, every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can I plead with you in love? Come to Jesus Christ, dear friends. Tell him, Lord, I confess thy, thy name. I believe in thee as Lord and Savior. God resists the proud, the Bible says, but giveth grace to the humble. So if you humble yourself today, he will, he will bring you up. He will elevate you from a sinner to a saint. A person who is depraved to someone who now has the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone who has been rebellion all your life to someone who is obedient to the word of the Lord Jesus. That's what he does. Would you not repent and turn away? Come down from that throne of pride. Come down from your self-righteousness. Repent and trust him. Turn away from your evil way. 
and live? Believe that Jesus Christ has achieved on the cross of Calvary. What did he do? Believe in him. God, God the Father has glorified his son. And maybe each one of us glorify him as well. Not just outwardly, dear friends. Outward things ultimately would be seen for what they are. But your soul, your heart, if, if God changes that, then from within, you don't have to put on a show. From within, you would worship God. This is what Jesus Christ has come to do. Well, maybe receive Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank Thee this morning of this passage in Thy Word. We thank Thee that it reveals to us Thy Son, who was so meek, so wonderful, so loving, that he would do such a thing for us. Lord, we thank thee that Jesus Christ, who is God, he became man. We thank thee for his humiliation. We thank thee for his cross, his death, his, his tomb. We thank thee yet now he lives at thy right hand, exalted and upon the throne, and one day he will come for us. We pray that thou wouldst then speak to every soul here, and we ask that even salvation would visit this house and even all of our hearts for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen.